Welcome to Evolve, reinventing leadership, building freedom cultures, with CEO and award-winning author, Yvette Bethel. This podcast is dedicated to providing leaders with solutions to build trust, inspire authentic transformation, and improve engagement. Learn about new and tested ways you can revitalize your culture, empower people, and transform your results. This is Yvette Bethel, and it gives me great pleasure to welcome you to Evolve. Evolve challenges traditional leadership topics, explores modern leadership models, providing ideas you can use to transform your culture. We, provide, we focus on leadership through the lens of interconnectivity, flow, and balance. We explore ideas that translate into practical applications for contemporary organizational challenges. The topic for this episode of Evolve is your manager's first aid kit. And to explore this topic with us is change consultant, author, university lecturer, and ambassador, Joan Underwood. Joan is the managing director, lead consultant, and co-founder of Underwood Talent Development Services. Like any other high-performing woman, she is multi-talented, serving managers and leaders in multiple ways. Joan has served on numerous boards in the private and public sectors and as an ambassador to a number of Latin American countries. She has accumulated extensive experiences in management, so she brings rich perspectives as well as a theoretical understanding of management to our conversation. Hello, Joan, and welcome back to Evolve. Thank you so very much, Yvette. It's an absolute pleasure to be with you and to help to bring the message to your listeners. Oh, yes. I think you were my very first interview a few years ago. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> I didn't even know that. <laughs> yeah, before that, the podcast was uh, all me just talking about different topics. And um, I think you were the very first uh, person that I switched when I made the switch. You were my first guest. So thank you. Well, it's an honor to be back. And you've done so much since, <laughs> since that, <laughs> you know, first time that I engaged with you in this forum. So congratulations to you and just continue to do the exceptional work that you're doing. It really does make a difference. Oh, thank you, Joan. And I have to say right back at you. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I want to, I like to start off uh, with origins. So in this case, mm -hmm. I want to ask you about um, management because it's obviously a passion of yours. And what sparked your interest in, in helping people to become better at managing and writing a whole book about it? Yeah. Well, I started off my very first career. I was a technical worker. I was in the healthcare sector as a cytotechnologist. And for anyone who's not familiar with that term, cytotechnologists, we're laboratory technicians, and we focus on the diagnosis of malignant and pre-malignant conditions. And as I worked as a technician, I was struck by how handicapped I was by 
ineffective, inefficient management and policy formulation. So I decided, you know what, instead of just complaining about it, why don't you make that transition? And so mm -hmm. that's when I went back to when I went to graduate school and pursued my first master's degree, which was a master's in health services administration. And so from being a technical worker, I transitioned to being a manager and I managed a series of healthcare institutions. One of the things that struck me as I made my personal transition from being an individual contributor, a technical or knowledge worker, to someone who was responsible for managing um, not just institutions, but people within institutions, is that graduate school had not adequately prepared me for the specific challenges. So yes, I had studied policy formulation, I'd studied, you know, accounting and finance and economics and all of those things, and even HR. Mm -hmm. But in terms of relationship building, there wasn't sufficient emphasis on that. Because at the end of the day, um, being in a position of leadership, it's all about relationships. It's all about getting things done with and through others. And like I said, had some challenges with my own transition. And as I advanced in my career, as I became an HR practitioner, I found that I wasn't alone. Mm -hmm. You know, my corporate clients they complained that their high performers once promoted into managerial ranks, they didn't excel in the way that the employer had anticipated, had hoped for. Then with my coaching clients, they, in making the transition, they were frustrated. They felt, you know, conflicted because they were promoted as a reward for being right. really good at what they used to do. Right. as individual contributors, knowledge worker, technical workers. But the thing is, to succeed, to excel as a manager, as a people leader, you require different competencies. And unfortunately, still to today, employers are not adequately preparing their people to make that transition. And so one of the taglines, that I use is that the struggle is real, right. but so are the solutions. Yes. And so <laughs> I decided I was reaching people and helping to make that difference, helping with the transition through my coaching practice, through my consulting. But the problem is so much more universal than what I can read, reach, you know, one-on-one. -on -one. And so that's when I decided, you know what? I'm going to do some research and see, you know, just how widespread this is. Mm -hmm. And I was really disappointed to find that more than 60% of new managers in a particular survey reported that they struggled during the transition and that they either failed outright or underperformed. And this is by their mm -hmm. self-assessment mm -hmm. during the, that transition. And so I said, okay, this is a significant pain point. It's a global pain point. And so that's when I decided to write Manager's First Aid Kit and to put that out there to help others navigate this challenging transition. Now, you just mentioned um, your book, Manager's First Aid Kit, and the title suggests a, a healing quality. Why did you choose this name? It sounds like it's all connected to your beginnings. 
Absolutely. You're so right. <laughs> so again, as I mentioned, started out in healthcare. And if you think about it, it's recommended that all households have a first aid kit. Why do you need a first aid kit? It's so that you can address minor problems before they become major problems, which might require hospitalization or some major intervention. Mm -hmm. And so I present manager's first aid kit as something that's preventative, something that you can use to ensure that you don't fall into the major pitfalls that are so common during this transition period from individual contributor to manager. So, I mean, that's a perfect segue into my next question. From your perspective, what is a manager and how is it different than a leader? Okay. So, you know, if we go back to the old management books that, you know, they use in, in business school, they tell you that, you know, the functions of management are to plan, lead, organize, and control. Now, notice that lead is one of, of the functions of, of management. However, having to lead as a function and showing up as a leader there is a difference. It may be nuanced, but it is a difference. And the other thing to note is that not all you don't have to be a manager in order to have a position of leadership, mm -hmm. all right, in order to be perceived as a leader. And what I have found since the book was launched is that it has resonated with a particular audience that I will be honest and say they were just not on my radar when I was writing the book, and that's entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. No, with the benefit of hindsight, I said, but of course, why didn't you think of that? Because exactly what managers have to do, the entrepreneurs have to do as well, right? So, mm -hmm. but in addition to the, the, the people who have the title of manager or supervisor, in addition to the entrepreneurs, we have people who may find themselves, for example, in a community setting with where they're viewed as leaders by those around them and the lessons are equally relevant and applicable for such persons. So with my book, I'm targeting um, going beyond just the functional aspects of management to coming to how you actually show up. And, you know, we'll get into it in more detail, but that's why the very first um, part of the book starts with managing self. Mm -hmm. And we talk about self-awareness, emotional intelligence, which I know is a big thing for you, right? <laughs> Self-regulation. So we start with self before we then expand to managing others and ultimately to managing systems and processes. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I was looking at your book and I noticed that emotion, emotional intelligence caught my eye. Um, what exactly about emotional intelligence have you seen as like a deficit that, that needs to be addressed? I find that, you know, if we go back to the Johari window and we know that you know, there are blind spots, there are things about yourself which you may not, um, it may not be in your consciousness, mm -hmm. but which other people can see. 
And as emotionally intelligent leaders, it behooves us to seek to make our blind spots smaller so that we develop greater self-awareness. And it was Aristotle that said that self-awareness is the beginning of wisdom. It doesn't guarantee you the wisdom, but if you don't have the self-awareness, you're definitely <laughs> not going to get it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so it's really important for us to be sufficiently open because it's known to others. So it's obvious from that, that the way that you can improve or enhance or expand your self-awareness is by soliciting feedback from others. And feedback is not always easy to receive because it's easy for us to get all caught up in our feelings, to get defensive, to start refuting, rebutting, rather than accepting the information that we're receiving from others as a gift. Why is it a gift? It's because it's something that you didn't have previously that you have now. What mm. you choose to do with it is completely up to you. I encourage you not to get defensive, but to approach the feedback as you receive it from a position of curiosity. Certainly, people may have ulterior motives. They may have malintentions in terms of what they tell you and how they tell you. Mm -hmm. But don't, don't focus on what their intentions are. Focus on how you can use this information. If the story that they're telling is not the story that you want to project, then you have the opportunity now that you're aware of it to reframe that story, to rewrite the narrative by changing how you show up, how you project yourself so that people are reading and seeing what it is you want to bring to the table as opposed to making up stories that are not in alignment with your values, with, with your persona, with the identity that you have chosen for yourself as a leader, as a manager. Mm -hmm. You mentioned earlier that there's a nuance in the meaning uh, or the difference between uh, management and leadership. And I think one author put it this way, management is doing things right and leadership is doing the right things. The right things. Um, why did you choose to write about management uh, as opposed to leadership or, or did you write about both in there? That's a great question because um, it my a lot of my work, you know, over the past 10 years has been in the sphere of leadership. And I've actually had people say, well, where's the book on leadership? And the reason that I chose to start with this, again, it goes back to the pain point. That people are struggling mightily with that transition to being a manager. Mm -hmm. And I, so I, I felt, you know, they, they say in, in the, the world of authors that sometimes there's the book before the book, the one <laughs> that you need to write first before you get to the book. Right, and right. I think Manager's First Aid Kit may be the book before the book. Mm -hmm. So I do plan to write a book on leadership. However, I, I really felt the need for this particular book to be out there. And the response that I've gotten to the book seems to validate that impression that I had. Mm -hmm. One of my books is, is about ecosystems um, and treating organizations as, as ecosystems. And um, within the ecosystems, you have a culture and many cultures uh, are built on the whole system of control. Many organizations uh, focus in on control 
and you know everybody just following the rules <laughs> now uh mm -hmm. from a from a perspective of management and leadership you have um managers in those systems who just kind of do the do things right <laughs> because that's that's what they are being challenged to do they just in fact some some uh yes. owners of businesses say i don't pay you to think they literally say that so from your perspective how do they how do they even uh evolve in oppressive systems um that don't really allow that or or cater to uh, their growth okay yeah great question and it reflects the reality that unfortunately is far too common and so there are a number of ways in which i treat with this and i encounter this sort of tension a lot with my coaching clients mm -hmm. and one of the things that i emphasize are the layers of culture because you know again in the ecosystem um if you start at the the macro level so there's a macro culture that exists at the institutional level then there's a subculture that you will find at the business unit level mm -hmm. and then you have the micro culture that will exist at the level of the team so it depends on where the individual manager or leader sits in terms of how they show up and the type of leverage that they have so let's start with the at the level of the microculture so i you know the individual may be a supervisor or even a, a frontline manager who has a small team now the power distance between that manager and the people in the c-suite can be significant mm -hmm. especially if it's the type of um organizational dynamic that you just mentioned where people are being told they didn't hire you to think so there's a huge difference between where this individual um, is at a supervisory or frontline manager position and where you know the mucky mucks the higher ups are <laughs> however there is still opportunity to influence the people with whom you interact directly mm -hmm. because if we look at, at at the published work you know at the primary research that has done has been done in terms of assessing the degree of employee um, engagement one of the primary drivers is that relationship with the direct supervisor or manager because um, you people don't see the people on the board and in, in the C-suite as often as they see and interact with you. So you have the opportunity to shape your microculture, to form a team with the values and with a team charter that represents a culture which is more aligned with the types of values and principles that you embrace for yourself as a leader. And so, you know, I, I always like to talk about the circles of control, influence, and concern. So you may be concerned about the macro culture, but from where you sit, you may not have the power, influence, or control over it. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to your micro culture, the, the culture you establish with your team, you certainly have the ability to influence and to a certain degree control that. So then I encourage my coachy focus there, focus on what you can control and what you can influence and have the impact 
severe. Then when your team starts showing up as high performing, when your team starts showing up as adding value to other stakeholders and the buzz starts around that, then you can start to influence the subculture and maybe even ultimately the macro culture within the organization. Mm -hmm. So from your perspective then, um, uh, the influence is more from a leadership perspective. So are you suggesting that they continue just to manage and, you know, do the right things until they can build that influence? Well, no, I'm saying lead from where you are. Okay. So establish your microculture the way you know that it should be in terms of the values that you have. Engage your people in mm -hmm. helping to shape and form that culture. And then you may find, based on how your team is performing, the impact that it's having, it starts to get noticed. People want to be a part of your team because, hey, there's something special happening over there with Yvette and her people. Mm -hmm. um, the rest of us, you know, we come in here with our feet dragging, our faces touching the floor, and there's something special happening over there. We want to know what's going on. We want to be a part of what's going on over there. Ah, become a magnet. Yes, yes. So I'm going to shift uh, the conversation slightly. One of the chapters in your book uh, caught my attention. It's near the end. And it's entitled Banishing the Myth of Time Management. And I hope this isn't a, spo I hope this isn't a spoiler but uh, question. But uh, what is this myth <laughs> that they should banish? Well, let me tell you, and this is my personal philosophy, I don't think that time management is a thing. <laughs> I don't think you can manage time. And let me explain why. Remember I said before, you know, in business school, they tell you the functions of leadership are to plan, lead, organize, and control. Mm -hmm. All right, planning time. Well, somebody already did that for us. They arranged the seconds into minutes, minutes into hours, hours into days, etc. What are the planning you're going to do with time? Time is planned out already in terms of how it's structured, all right, mm -hmm. where it's going. The days are going to roll, the Monday rolls over to Tuesday, et cetera, et cetera. So you're not going to plan time. You certainly can't lead time. You can't organize time either because it's already organized and you cannot control time. What you can do is make the decisions about what you do in and with the time that's available to you. Mm -hmm. And so instead of managing time, my focus is on managing priorities. And when I manage my priorities, that will inform what I do with the time that's available. So there's a bit of a backstory in terms of that chapter. It's actually the last chapter in the book. That's because it's the last chapter that was written. And that's because I thought the book was done. And I went out to have some focus groups. I had my advanced readers and was getting feedback. And one of the questions I asked was, what, if anything, do you think is missing from the book? And I tell you, there were so many people that said time management. And I was conflicted because, like I said, I don't think it's a thing. And so my compromise was to write the chapter and to make it about banishing the myth of time management. So <laughs> instead of talking about managing time, I talk about managing your priorities, uh -huh. how to say no 
the things that don't align exactly. with your priorities and how to do so in a way that doesn't damage relationships. Because a lot of time, the reason that we say yes, even though we know we're already swamped, we have conflicting thing, uh, you know, schedules is because we don't want to damage the relationship or we're afraid that if we say no, it could somehow have an adverse impact on us in terms of our career progression or right. other. So what I focus on is strategies for setting your priorities, um, setting your milestones and your goals and objective in relation to those priorities, how you keep them in line of sight and then how you clear away all the other stuff that gets in the way of your addressing your priorities. Mm. Oh, that's interesting. I like that approach. I, I do agree <laughs> that you can't manage it. It's already structured. Love yeah, it. And, yeah. You know, something happened with that chapter because, I, like I said, it was controversial. I knew I was, you know, taking a risk in terms of putting that in there. Um, but I, I feel very strongly about it. And it has wet the appetite of so many people that I actually since then have written an ebook which elaborates on it because people's <laughs> like, uh, we're like, okay, we know you, I think you're onto something here, but I need more. Uh, and so uh -huh. I have since written an ebook, which is my 10 step system to managing priorities instead of managing time. And that little book that system comes with a guarantee and here's the guarantee if you diligently and faithfully apply that 10-step system mm -hmm. i guarantee you you will not miss another important deadline and notice i say important deadline because if it's important it becomes one of your priorities <laughs> it stays in your line of sight uh -huh. So you're not going to let it slip through the cracks. Other stuff <laughs> that would be nice or don't align, yeah. oh, you can miss those. I'm not as concerned about, but if this rises to the level of a priority, you're not going to miss a deadline if you implement the system. Uh -huh. Comes with a guarantee too. That is special. <laughs> <laughs> so from your based on your experience um what is the three top skill deficits that you encounter among managers Ooh, top three all right mm -hmm. i i would have to say the lack of um self-awareness because mm -hmm. people and i think one one of the things that contributes to that being such a prevalent issue is that we don't give and we don't receive feedback. We don't solicit feedback and we're not giving feedback ourselves. And as we mentioned before, in terms of the blind spots, that's the primary way you're gonna reduce the size of your blind spot is by being open to feedback. And you, because people aren't very good at giving feedback, mm -hmm. when you are soliciting feedback, you need to ask very targeted questions in order to get responses that are useful to you. A lot of times when people give feedback, they'll give you feedback about your personality, which is irrelevant because our personalities are essentially formed. I'm not going to change being an introvert because somebody told me you're too introverted. That's not going to happen. <laughs> yeah. Okay. What I can change is behavior. What I can change is the way that I think, the way that I process information. So mm -hmm. that's, we, 
because people may not realize that the feedback they're giving you is not helpful, they may have good intentions. What you can do to take ownership of your own development is to learn to ask the right questions of the right people, and then to really use the information you get as a result. So I would say that would be the first thing is inadequate self-awareness. And then going hand in hand with that, the other side of emotional intelligence is the self-regulation, right? And um, Dr. Susan David, who does some fantastic work on emotional agility, um, one of the things that she says, she says, your emotions are information, not directives, right? Right. Mm-hmm. And so far too often we get hijacked by our emotions. And so we react as opposed to responding. And what's the difference between a reaction and a response? It's choice. Because I can get hijacked, um, be angry, get hijacked by the anger and take certain actions. All right. So I've reacted. I can get angry, process the fact that I'm feeling angry because I feel that an injustice has been perpetrated here. Um, injustice is um, not consistent with my core values. Therefore, I think this needs to be rectified. And the action may look similar to what I did with a reaction, but I have chosen to take that course of action based on my values. Mm -hmm. Right? So inserting that choice, having that emotional agility is a really important, important um, maturation for people who are coming into their own as leaders and as managers. Now, so that's two, the first one, self-awareness, the second one, self-regulation. And the third one that I'm going to focus on is relationship building. And I'll tell you what, in the little confession here, I'm going back to my Catholic roots. Um, In the early stages of my own journey, I I was extremely task-oriented. And I thought it was a choice that I needed to make that I could focus on relationship or I could focus on task. At the time, the the vision that I had of myself as a leader is someone who would have a reputation for being able to get things done, um, get things done on time to a good quality standard, you know, within budget, et cetera, et cetera. So the focus was on the task. What I came to learn through a somewhat painful journey is that it's not either or, it's and. We have to focus on both the task and the relationship. Mm -hmm. Because at the end of the day, as I said before, leadership is about getting things done with and through others. And there's an African proverb which captures it beautifully. It says, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, take others with you. Mm-hmm. And I think that for many of us as leaders, as managers, we focus on the task and do not pay adequate attention to the people, to the relationships. And what we get from our team, if we have that approach, if we're looking, well, we may get compliance. We may get compliance. What we definitely won't get if we don't focus on building relationship is commitment. And I have led teams where I got compliance 
I've led teams where I got commitment. And I'll tell you, any day of the week, I'll take commitment over compliance. So those are the three things that I would say. Of course, there's lots of other things that I could have said in terms of communication, in terms of um, insight and, and being visionary. But I think if you have those three fundamentals, your self-awareness, your self-regulation, and your commitment to building and sustaining relationship, the other things will come. You know, I uh, encounter a number of managers who, you know, if they get feedback uh, from an engagement survey or some other type of uh, instrument, uh, they, some of their responses would be, you know, I don't come here to make friends. Uh, and I think they're conflating friendship with um, healthy relationships. Can you yes. can you make a help make a distinction? Yeah. So the model of emotional intelligence that I use in in my own work is the EQI two point and I I love how they define the relationship. It's a mutually beneficial. Okay. So are you benefiting from this relationship and is the other person would they also say that they're benefiting from the relationship now i don't need to be coming to your home i don't need to be on the phone with you you know 24 7 in order for us to have a mutually beneficial relationship all right what i do need and and in my book, there, uh, there are actually two chapters because trust got a chapter all on its own. And I know you can relate to that because <laughs> so much work. I was like, no, 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 no. I can't just put trust in with everything else. That needs an entire chapter. Exactly. Right. So I, I, I identify six fundamental relationship building blocks. Trust, of course, like I said, is, is right up there. Respect is another one. Mm -hmm. Okay, and with respect, I uh, promote the law of the harvest. What's the law of the harvest? If you want to respect to get respect, the way to get it is to give it to others. Be respectful mm -hmm. of others. Don't just think, you know, I have this role, I have this position, therefore I'm commanding, I'm demanding respect. No, you earn respect by being respectful of others. Okay, so we have trust, we have respect, we have effective communication, not just communication, but effective communication, because um, George Bernard Shaw is credited with saying, you know, one of the, the biggest myths about communica uh, communication is the illusion that it has taken place. <laughs> yes, I remember that. When we yeah. think that we have communicated, we really have not. Because what is effective communication? It's the creation of shared meaning and understanding. Just because you sent an email, a memo, made a speech does not mean that you have communicated because you don't know if there is shared meaning and understanding. Mm -hmm. So effective communication needs that feedback loop so that you can validate that, okay, yes, indeed, we're on the same page here. And if you have a huge power distance, if there's huge tension in the relationship, you may not be getting that feedback. People may feel that, well, I can't tell her, I can't tell him that, I, you know, I don't understand what the heck you're saying, right? So that's another fundamental building block. Another one is having an open mindset. 
You know, I can't tell you, and I'm sure you've experienced it yourself, that you go into an organization, they brought you in because they know that something is wrong. They can't quite put their finger on it. And they say, but I think people need some training. A lot of times it's not about <laughs> training. There's, there's right. some dysfunction there. And, I, you know, I always say, well, let's start with a diagnostic assessment so that we can ensure that what we're doing is really responsive to what the actual core problem is, rather than you're paying me to do something and then I leave and you're disappointed because nothing changed. And the reason nothing changed is because we were not addressing the real problem, right? Mm -hmm. So when you start talking to the people within the organization, oh, they go back and tell you stories from 19 naught, you know, <laughs> so long ago. And sometimes when you probe, they can't even remember what the origin event was. Uh -huh, but they're true. carrying around this historic hurt, this historic malice, and it's clouding everything. That's right. And so all the interventions in the world is not going to fix it un until you get to the core issue. And you can only get to the core issue if people approach the situation with an open mind and are willing to shift attitudes, shift beliefs, shift perceptions, and to entertain the possibility that there's a different story than the one that I've been telling myself all these years. Mm -hmm. Let's figure out what that is. Okay, and that brings me to empathy, because mm -hmm. the other thing that we tend to do is expect everyone to navigate the world from our frame, from our mental models, right? With empathy, you accept that people are different, not better, not worse, just different. And with the diversity that we have in the workplace these days, that it's like exponential differences. Because mm -hmm. think about it, even if you have siblings and you grew up in the same household with the same parents, you and your siblings still think differently. You have some core things that you, you hold sacrosanct, but you think and behave differently. So why are you going to go into a workplace? Your relatives don't work there. These are all people who have their own backstories, yet you expect them to think and behave exactly the way that you do. It's not going to happen. And so empathy opens things up in relationship so that you realize that, okay, you may have a different way of seeing it. I'm open to hearing that. Doesn't mean that I have to accept it. It means that I have to be willing to listen to it, to hear it, to understand it, and to respect it. Because it's your right to have your own perspective on an issue. Okay. Mm -hmm. Another one of my building blocks for effective, for mutually um, beneficial um, relationships is the platinum rule. And I, I don't know if you and your listeners are familiar with the platinum rule. It's not as familiar as its cousin, the golden rule, which is a sound Judeo-Christian principle that says, do unto others as you would have done unto you. That's the golden rule. Mm -hmm. But again, the golden rule doesn't take the diversity into consideration. Not everyone wants what you want. Not everyone <laughs> wants to be treated the way that you want to be treated. So if you think about your love languages, for example, mm -hmm. uh, for some people, expressions of appreciation, they would like them to be this way. 
And for someone else, that same expression of appreciation will not move the needle for them at all. Mm -hmm. So with the platinum rule now, it says, do unto others as they would have done unto them. And I place that at the pinnacle of my relationship building block model, because if you can get to that level where as a leader, you are prepared to invest the time in getting to know your people, not as units of, of production, but as human beings to get to know, understand and appreciate them. It takes the relationship to a whole different level. I think uh, one of the seven habits, I think the last one is uh, about understanding. Um, I forget what it, it says exactly. Um, seek first to understand and to be understood. Yes, and yeah. then to be understood. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. That's it makes one of them. the world mm -hmm. different. Mm -hmm. You know, on uh, my final question to you, Joan, is... Uh, really based on your varied and multi multitude, varied, I mean, deep experiences, what is your best advice <laughs> that you can give our listeners? The best advice, huh? take the time to figure out your why. Take the time to figure out your why, because that will determine how you show up in every circumstance. And, you know, right now I'm doing, uh, I've just launched a program. I'm in my first cohort. It's called Caribbean Women Rising. And this is a leadership development program that I designed specifically for women who, after initial high velocity acceleration in their careers, have come to the point where they feel stuck. They don't even know why things have just tapered off. Because like I said, initially they had high velocity. They were tagged as high potentials, high performers. And now all of a sudden, they're just stagnating where they are. They no longer, you know, enjoy what they're doing. They're frustrated by the, the lack of upward mobility. And uh, far too often, I, I see in that context, people want to start doing things. Oh, I'm going to start sending out... Um, applications. I'm going to link up with a headhunter. And I was like, take a breath before you start doing that. Because if you just jump in there, you can find yourself in a different location, but in the same circumstance. Exactly. Let's step back and focus on your why. Because you may have had a why back when you started out that you may have already surpassed. Let's recalibrate and figure out what's important to you now, what gives you joy? And I tell you, it's a, it, it saddens me a little bit how often people get stumped when I ask them that question, what gives you joy? Because they've been so busy doing that they haven't taken the time to focus on being and what it is that they want to be, who it is that they want to be, what gives them joy, what feeds their soul. And so I, in the, the women in the cohort, I've said, that's where we're going to start. Okay. And after we have gotten our arms around that, then we can start the action because we're doing it 
knowing what uh, where our compasses are aligned. This is what feeds my soul. This is my purpose. This is the frame through which the lens through which I'm going to look at the world and through which I want the world to look at me. And then you make decisions based on that. Once you have that why figured out, the what and the how will come. And even if they don't come right away, you're going to persevere because you believe in your why. And Simon Sinek's um, TED Talk, I mean, it's one of the most watched TED Talks uh, globally. Start with why. Wow. <laughs> that is such a powerful ending. And with that, I would love to thank you, Joan, for such a thought-provoking interview. Your insights will certainly help our managers or the managers in our audience to evolve or any leader, as a matter of fact. Can you please tell our leaders and, and listeners where they can find you online? Okay, so my primary platforms are LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook. On LinkedIn, you can just um, search for my name, Joan H. Underwood. On Instagram, again, my name, at joan.h.underwood. And on Facebook, you will find me at my business page is at UTDS official. And that's UTDS and is the initials for Underwood Talent Development Services. Um, I, my community is called Maximizers because we, we're not perfect. Some of us are recovering, recovering perfectionists, but we, <laughs> we are putting that aside. As maximizers, what defines us is our commitment to put in our best effort to get the best possible outcomes. And we get up every day and we do that. Some days we miss the mark, but we come right back the next day and give it a shot again. And so on those social media platforms, you'll find my daily posts, um, which tackle and you know various issues and pain points for managers and leaders um, generally. We have a bi-monthly blog, which is called the Manager Level Up, and that comes out the second and fourth Tuesday of every month. You can go to my website to see back issues. And the website is UTDSINC. So that's UTDSINC.com. And you can see all the back issues of that. In terms of the book, you can get the book from my website or you can get it on Amazon. The book is available in paperback electronic format, and it's also on Audible. Now, if you want to get it in full color, you have to come to me to get that. Um, the Amazon doesn't carry the full color, but you can get it from my website. And there's also a companion workbook, because after the book came out, people were saying, you know, oh, I mean, there's just so much here. And each of the chapters, well, not every single chapter, but most of the chapters have activities, either reflection or application activities. And so I've created a companion workbook to go along with that. And you can also get the bundle, which would be the, the paperback or the audio book or the electronic book, along with the companion workbook from my website. 
So um, I'm looking forward to seeing you online. If there are questions that you would like to have me address, you know, uh, I can't remember which day of the week it is. It might be like a Thursday that I answer questions from the community. So you send in a question and I devote my post that day to answering the question and giving you some context, drawing on my own experiences, as well as, you know, latest research on the particular topic. Wow, thank you, Joan. This has been Yvette Bethel and Joan Underwood. And we thank you for taking time to join us on Evolve, Reinventing Leadership, Building Freedom Cultures. Thanks for listening to Evolve, Reinventing Leadership, building freedom cultures. Join our vibrant network of leaders who are challenging the leadership paradigm in an innovative learning and impact network. Check out our webpage at ifbnetwork.co to learn more about and join our exciting ecosystem of high-performing leaders.